Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. I'll share a quick testimony with you. I'm always asking you guys to, to get back to me when we have a healing line or if we've prayed for you or if you've just exercised faith and you've experienced a manifestation. I always want to know about it, and I'll ask permission if I can share it. Uh, but this one's from me. Uh, this was uh, yesterday? Monday. I, uh, I woke up, and uh, my leg hurt. Uh, from right above my ankle to about halfway up my leg, right there on that outside portion of my lower leg. And it was a weird pain. I couldn't uh, locate, what is this? Is this a nerve? Is it a muscle? Is it the bone? I mean, it really felt like a deep, deep bruise. And it hurt to put weight on the leg, but it wasn't in the joint. But every time I put weight on that leg, it just uh, throbbing pain, and I walked around thinking, well, maybe something's tight, but the more I walked around, the more it hurt. Uh, my son, bless his heart, he, I asked him to take the trash out, and he made it as far as the front porch, and the cats or a fox or some of the other animals that run around had gotten into it and spread it all over the front yard, so I went out there in my slippers and my robe, and I'm picking up trash, and I take it out to the street thinking, I'm just going to gut this out, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better, and it, and it just hurt more and more. So I came back inside, I propped it up on the coffee table, I'm just going to rest it for a while, and I get back up, it'll feel better, and it didn't, it felt worse, and I'm, I'm literally limping around the house now, and it's a, it's a concerning kind of pain, I mean, it just, now I'm thinking, I've got to go pick mom up later today, I'm going to take her in to see dad, and I'm going to be limping, and dad's going to say, what's wrong, get to the doctor, or something like that, you know, and, and I just kind of didn't want to be dealing with it, and uh I didn't take anything. I'm not opposed to taking things. I just didn't. And uh, I got in the shower, and while I'm in the shower, I'm speaking to it. I'm just going through my healing confessions as I normally do, and I, and, but then I spent just another 30 seconds speaking specifically to the leg pain. And when I stepped out of the shower, it hurt just as bad. And I went ahead and got dressed, and it still hurt. And then I went upstairs to wake my daughter up, and I'm thinking... Uh, I don't want to climb these stairs because I've got to bend my ankle, and it hurts more when I twist it. And uh, even though, again, the pain wasn't in the joint, if I had to bend it at all, that it just made the pain worse. But I go limping up the stairs, and I knock on Rainy's door. I tell her to get up. She says, I'm getting up, and that's all you've got to do with her. You don't have to wake her up three times, praise God. And so I go walking down the stairs, and I step on the stair, and I step with my left foot, and I step on the stair, and I step with my left foot. I stepped on the next stair, and the pain was gone. Yeah, it was almost like a click. I didn't hear anything, but I I don't know how to describe this. I've shared with you how excited I was when my back was healed, and how what a, it was a suddenly, but I didn't feel the moment the pain left me. I simply woke up one day, and the pain was gone. This, I actually felt the moment the pain was gone. It wasn't like, well, three steps later, it was a little bit better. Six steps later, it was a lot better. It was like one step there, next step, boom. I mean, it's just gone. It was the most dramatic, instantaneous healing I've ever experienced. And praise God. It was, I mean, I went dancing in the living room. Beth, Beth, guess what happened? You know, look at this. You know, just so. Anyway, praise God. He's a good God. 
Um, and we're going to come back around to the subject of healing, but we're going to kind of come in uh, the back way. I'll start with this. This is going to seem like a weird introduction for a healing message. But I think you'll see where I'm going before I get too far into this. When I, if I remember right anyway, it's been a while, but when I diet, seems like <laughs> in the back of my mind, the goal is to get down to a certain weight. There's always a certain weight I want to be, and I consider the diet successful and complete when I reach that goal. And then, also in the back of my mind, is once I reach that goal, what can I do? I can go back to eating the way I was eating that got me fat in the first place. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. That worked. That actually worked a lot better 20 years ago. Something about your metabolism or something? So, obviously, we start thinking about lifestyle changes. There's things, I, there's just ways I need to eat, ways I need to live, habits I need to adopt to avoid getting into that mess. Likewise, somebody can have a predisposition or even an addiction to gambling, and they find themselves in debt, and they want so badly, they're feeling the burden of debt, but often they want to get out of debt they want to get money back in their pockets so that they can gamble again. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? There are people, I'm not kidding you, I'm not painting with a huge broad brush because I know people get rehabilitated. Some people are genuinely sorry, but there are, there's a certain portion of the prison population that can't wait to get out of jail, out of prison, so that they can go back to a life of crime. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit, how many times have you passed a, uh, a beggar or street person asking for money and you don't give because you wonder what they want the money for? One of the very first times, if not the first time, I went to Chicago with a friend, uh, probably 19 years old, a buddy of mine and I drove up there. And we're walking just through the city and a guy came up and just accosted us. Hey, can you spare a few, spare a few bucks? And, of course, you know, we're trying to be all worldly wise. Uh, I'm not going to give you money so you can go get, get you some liquor or drugs or whatever. We didn't say this. We're just kind of like, well, I don't know. Come on, man, I'm hungry. Haven't eaten since yesterday. I just want to go get a burger or something. And, and uh, so I just said, I said, man, how do we, I don't know you. He goes, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm just going to drink it, aren't you? I said, well, I don't know, man. I just I hate to give you money and find out. He says, I'm not kidding. He says, look, you, know, you can smell my breath. You can search around. I don't have anything. I, I just, man, I'm hungry. So we gave him four or five bucks, and we watched him walk away, and then we followed him. And he went right into a bar. Maybe it was a bar and grill. I don't know. But this is what I'm always thinking. What do you want the money for? We're going to look at a few passages tonight, and we're not going to read this whole story, but I want to look at the first couple verses of the parable of the prodigal son, and then it's in Luke Chapter 15. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. He said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now you know the rest of the story. Most of you do. He took the money. This was 
what he was going to inherit when his father died. And the son just basically said, I, I, I want to leave. There's some things I want to do with my life, and I want to do them now. So instead of waiting until you die, why don't you just total up what your estate is worth and give me that much money now? So he did. And he went into the city, and he wasted his inheritance on prodigal, wasteful living. And uh, wound up, you know, he lost his friends when the money was gone, wound up working for a pig farmer, wanting to eat the pig food. And then it says he came to himself, right? And isn't it interesting that when he came to himself, he knew better than to, say, than to write home, Dad, out of money, send more. Have you known people like that? When he came to himself, he said, what am I doing? I could go back and be a slave on my father's, uh, at my father's house and live better than I'm living now. I'll go back and ask if he'll just hire me. He knew better than to say, send more money. And it's interesting because the father, he might have known exactly what would happen, or he might have had a strong suspicion. He might have had a conversation, son, this is an unwise move. You've you taken off, you've taken this money now. Why don't you stay here? You've got everything you need, and this is all going to be yours someday, yours and your brother's. He, they, I, I kind of suspect they had a conversation like that, but the young man's mind was made up. And it's crucial to understand that the money he gave his son was money that fell to him. It, it ultimately was going to be his money anyway. If he just said, hey, Pop, I want to leave and I want to I go do this, uh, the father could have said, hey, son, you know what? You can make a bad decision if you want, but I'm not going to finance it. If you want to leave, leave. But he did give him the portion of the goods that fell to him. It wasn't just a gift. Therefore, he knew better than to, 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 to write home and say, Dad, I need more money so that I can continue in this prodigal lifestyle. Keep that in mind. What I'm getting at is that sometimes, let me give you an example for a little closer to home. Sometimes my kids ask for things and I say no. And it's not because I'm stingy. I love giving my kids things. Uh, it's certainly not because I don't love them. It's because sometimes they're, the things they're asking for, I don't think, are good for them. Not the best thing for them at that time. Uh, I can remember back when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, and I had a little money in a savings account that Dad had started for me, and it was, you know, his name was on it too. I couldn't go down to the bank and withdraw anything on my own. I had to have... His signature. Uh, I probably had maybe I had maybe ninety hundred dollars in this savings account. And this, you know, this is back when ninety and hundred dollars was a lot of money, right? But you know, a couple of summers detasseling, raised rabbits, and and sold them. So I had a few bucks in the savings account. And a couple of my friends had bought a really nice, high-powered pump-action BB gun, and I wanted one. I had a nice BB gun that Dad had gotten me a couple of years before for Christmas. And, uh, but it wasn't super powerful. It was just a one-cock spring action, you know, Red Rider, 200 shot. Yeah, shoot your eye out. But I wanted one of these pump BB guns where I could really shoot stuff. But it was $40. Which looking, I remember that figure, $40. And, and looking back, it seems odd, because you can get a really nice pump action BB gun for $40 today. But anyway, it was 40 bucks. 
And so I asked Dad. I said, Dad, can you take me down to the bank so I can get some money out? What for? I want this BB gun. No. What do you mean no? It's my money. That's a stupid thing to spend your money on. But it's what I want. I'm not going to do it. And man, I was furious. I don't remember how, how long I stayed furious, but I was indignant. I, I fumed. How can he say no? It's my money and it's what I want. But then, not too long after that, I began to be thankful and realize that was, you know, that was a significant percentage of what was at that time my life savings. And I would have gotten bored with that thing in no time. It was not worth the $40 it was going to cost. He knew I was mad, but he'd rather me be mad at him than to have that regret a month later. Fast forward to yesterday, and Riley sends me a picture on, on, on my wife's phone of what's called, have you seen these? They're called one-wheelers. They're like a skateboard with one big fat wheel in the middle of it. You straddle this wheel. It's kind of like the next iteration of the hoverboard. It's just got one wheel that you balance on, and whichever way you lean, that's the way this thing goes. And this thing trucks, man. I mean, it moves, and it's got a range. It's a cool thing. I would never get on it. But he had a friend show him one at school, and he's got to have one now. You know what a new one of these things costs? Like $1,300. And he says, this is what I want this summer. Can you get it for me? <laughs> no. Actually, what I said was $1,300, LOL. And I don't LOL. I, I've, I've used LOL like three times in my life. I'd rather just write ha-ha, but this was just like, nope, there's no way, son. Why not? I really want this. Son, believe it or not, you can get a car for $1,300. And here's his response. I'm not throwing him under the bus, okay? Sometimes I want to throw him under the bus, but he's... He's, he, he, said, he said, yeah, but not a good one. <laughs> and this is where the disconnect is. Because there was never a time in my life I wouldn't rather have a junky car than a nice toy or a nice bike or a nice anything. Man, a real car? Are you kidding me? But no, no, no. He wants to save his money for a nice car. Well, then save your money. You're going to spend, you're gonna spend half what you're going to make this summer on a, on a one-wheeler. And I'm going to say no. And he's going to be mad. And I know my son well enough to know he's going to be mad at me a lot longer than I was mad at my dad. But I would rather him be mad at me, even all summer long, than have him regret spending, dropping that kind of dough on something that he really is going to get bored with. I'll buy, I'll buy you a BB gun. <laughs> <laughs> he can use mine. I bought one not too long ago. A few too many cats at our house. Anyway, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members, I'm talking about the members of your body, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, there is at least a hint in that passage that the pleasures he's talking about are sinful pleasures. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking God for money for a family vacation. For, for, for something that is pleasant, you know, what we, again, what we call a, a legitimate pleasure. But you can't ask God for money to pay a prostitute. He's talking about your lusts. You can't ask God for money to hire a hitman. He's talking about murder. And this made me kind of think of uh, a conversation. I've shared this with you before. It's, uh, it's been a while. But, uh, there was a gentleman, a friend of mine in uh, Farmer City, who, was, uh, who called me one day because I had been uh, speaking about the tithe, tithes and offerings at church. And he, was, he said, what do you do if you want to tithe, but you literally can't afford to? I said, well, uh, that's a tough one. You know, you really can't afford to. Uh, that's, that's a conversation that's worth having. But before we try to answer that, I said, I said, I'm not going to make any assumptions, and I'm not going to do. A, I'm not going to grill you on some things. But here's what I would ask ask you to consider. I said, I'll, I'll just tell you about me. If I were in a position where it's time to tithe and I don't have tithe money, what I'm going to do is examine what am I spending money on, because I will cut the cable off before I rob God of the tithe. Okay. I'll cut the cell phone off before I rob God of the tithe. There are a lot of things that we assume we need or things that we're just accustomed to having, things that would be hard to do without. And there's things there are nothing wrong with having them. But the tithe belongs to God. This was, this was my position. And uh, so again, there's nothing wrong with having certain things. But if having them is going to cause me to have misplaced priorities. Uh, if I'm going to ask, hey, God, I'd really like to have cable so we, so we can watch uh, inspirational TV or whatever. And so he blesses us with money, and then we order the next package up because God blesses us with more money than we asked for. But now we don't have the tithe money. Does God know what we're going to do? Does he know our hearts better than we know our hearts? Might God say no in that instance? I'll put it this way. If you having a lot of money means you're going to spend it on things that will compete with God for your attention or will actually detract from your love for God, God is probably not going to answer your prayer for money. Just like if the prodigal son had written home. This is the father who loved him. How much did his father love him? That he saw him when he was a long way off and went running out to meet him. This indicates to me that the, the father spent significant time daily looking over the horizon. Might my son be coming home today? He loved him. And he didn't condemn him. He didn't say, I told you so. He put a robe on him, put a ring on him, uh, killed the fatted calf, held a feast for him. He's back. He's back. My son who was dead is alive. But if his son, who he loved that much, had written from a far country and said, Father, I want to go on living like I'm living, but I need your money to do it. Father would have said no. Why? Because the father knew that son's place was with him. And if the things we're asking God for, and again, God knows our hearts better than we do. 
I know that if I give this to you, it's going to disappoint you, and it's going to detract from this relationship. God will say no. So our faith really is linked to our motives and our heart. Now, there were times that Jesus said no in the Gospels. Uh, A couple of examples. Um, You remember when the sons of Zebedee, James and John, this is in Mark chapter 10, you can read it. Uh, They came to him and said, Master, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Well, what's, what's your request? Well, we want you to grant that when you come into your kingdom, one of us sits on your left and one of us sits on your right. We want to sit just right outside your throne. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're asking. Can you, can you drink uh, the cup that I'm going to drink? Hey, yeah, we can. He said, well, you're going to, but you know what? I can't grant your request. That's not mine to grant you. Uh, he said no, essentially, when people said, show us a sign. And it's an evil generation that seeks a sign. Uh, tell us by what authority you do these things. Tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. Man, who made me a judge over you guys? Look at this. This is really cool. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 6. This is the day after... Jesus fed the 5,000. You remember that? The people came to be with Jesus, to sit and listen to his teaching. And the day wore on, and the people were hungry, and the disciples said, let them go get something to eat. He says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, it would cost 200 denarii to get enough food for this many people. And he says, well, what, do you, what do you have? He says, well, there's uh, somebody, we've, we've got uh, this many loaves, this many fishes. He takes them, he prays them, he breaks them, and he, he feeds all these people. And then they collect 12, I think in this instance, 12 baskets. Jesus later said, large baskets full of the leftovers. The next, and then, he, then you remember the disciples get in a boat. He goes walking out to them, walks on the sea. And then the next day, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that the one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread. Near the place where they ate bread. These are the people that he fed. After the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they, got also, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I read that so many times, thinking that they just went seeking him, and they're like, oh, when did you come here? No, they went over there and act like it was a chance encounter. Oh, look who's here. Over here, just where where we are. It's Jesus. Fancy meeting you here, Jesus. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. 
Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they after? Give us bread. Free lunch again. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They are still thinking bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, believes in him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, if you follow Jesus for Jesus' sake, you get bread. If you follow Jesus for bread's sake, you get schooled. All right? But, so we see this. He was willing to give them the bread, and he did that on more than one occasion because they came to sit under his teaching, to hear words of life, to hear the gospel, to hear the kingdom preached, and he gave them bread. But that this group of people in Capernaum, they're like, whoa, this was really cool. Uh, why, why buy groceries today? He's just across the lake. Let's go see him. Let's see if we can uh, get some more bread from him. And when he says, you just came over here to get bread, what you need to do is, uh, you know, follow God, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, we'll do that, but, but give us a sign. You know, as a matter of fact, Moses did this sign. He gave us bread from heaven. Back to the bread thing. They're seeking the bread, and they don't get it. This was a long, polite, spiritually enriching no. It would have gotten their eyes off of what they needed to see, got their, their minds off what they needed to hear, and just on what they wanted. Is there anything wrong with bread? Is bread sinful? No. He had just given them bread the day before. But if what we're desiring and what we are asking for is going to get our eyes off of God and pull us further from God, he will say no. There is one glaring exception to this principle in the Scriptures. And that exception is healing. Whenever, uh, wherever Jesus went, this is one of the things, this is one of the anchor truths of the New Testament that makes it so easy for me to pray in faith for you, to believe for me, just, just to, uh, where I just really don't have any reasonable doubt that it's God's will to heal. There's a number of reasons, but the biggest one is that when the multitudes pressed in on Jesus, he healed them all. And with respect to what we're talking about tonight, it's important to note that he didn't conduct interviews. Now, why do you want healed? What are you going to do when you're healthy? multitudes of people, and not just on one occasion. Wherever he went, the multitudes. People would come to be healed. People would bring their relatives to be healed. And he healed them all. All. Never, ever did he say no. 
And yet, do you really think there weren't some people in those multitudes who just wanted to be healthy so they could go back to their self-serving, hedonistic lifestyle? I guarantee you there were. There's an interesting statement at the end of a uh, story we looked at some time ago. Uh, In John chapter 5, another famous healing. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We'll read this. It's uh, only 14 verses, and and you've heard this story. Uh, After this, there was a feast, John 5, 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to, them, said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. After Jesus found him in the temple, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you couple things we cannot and should not assume in fact i i reject the notion that that jesus is suggesting that this man's sin caused his sickness he'd been sick for 38 years he's not saying now you sinned once and look what happened don't sin again or so it's going to get worse i mean it couldn't be much worse than it was Uh, he's not saying Regardless of what, of what made him sick in the first place, he's not saying, now, now that you've been healed, don't sin or God will strike you. He's not even necessarily saying, and again, I don't believe he is saying, uh, don't sin, now that you've been healed, don't sin or you'll get sicker next time. We see something worse, we think, well, a, a worse physical uh, condition. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think it goes back to what we're talking about. When we give good things to people who aren't ready for them, is there anything inherently wrong with a one-wheeler? There's not. I don't think it would be good for my son. It's not a wise use of the money. I think he'll be happier in the long run, better in the long run with a no in this case. All right? But God, uh, as a parent even though I feel strongly about certain things they ask for, and even though I might see in them tendencies to stray, tendencies towards certain sin, I am never not going to heal them. If they need a Band-Aid, I'm going to put a Band-Aid on them. If they need a doctor, and I'm, take, I'm taking them to the doctor. If they need medicine, I'm going to make sure they get medicine. I'm always going to pray for them. I'm never going to say, well, I'm afraid if you get healthy, you might sin. 
And yet, it is a distinct possibility, isn't it? And yet, as a parent, I'd be insane. In fact, I would be criminal if I withheld anything to make my child well just because I was afraid they might sin if they are well. And I believe God is the same way as a parent. That's something he's not willing to withhold. This is our health. This is something that touches our being. This is not a possession. It's not a bonus. It's not an extra. It's something that belongs to us. And there's a, I guess it's maybe a crass way of putting it, there's kind of a risk God takes when he heals us. It's a promise he's made. Okay? And it's, all the, it's, it's not all the requests that we make of God are yes and amen. It's all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And the, and the healing is attached to a promise, right? So he doesn't say no to that. So he, he heals the guy. Uh, the only question he asks him is, do you want to be made well? He doesn't follow it up. Now, what are you going to do if I make you well? He just heals him. Then confronts him later and says, see, you're well. Now, don't sin lest something worse befall you. What could be worse? What could be worse is him now healthy for the first time in 38 years. First, first time he can walk in 38 years. Now he goes running in the wrong direction. What can happen to him that's worse? I'll tell you exactly what happened to Israel. I'm going to do these good, 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 good things for you, but be careful because when life gets that good, that's when you're most susceptible to falling away from me. This is what God said in Deuteronomy. And what happened? That exact thing. But God doesn't withhold the healing. What's the best response? This is the last scripture we'll look at. In Mark chapter 1, there's a very short account of a healing. Mark 1, beginning in verse 29. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John... Sorry, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Some translations say, and she served him. But I find that something about that verse grabbed me today. You know, when, uh, if somebody is healed of something like having a fever, flu, something like that, okay, you're better. But take it easy for the rest of the day. You've been fighting this for a long time. This was a tough one. Uh, Jesus healed her, and she immediately served them. You better, <laughs> tells, the, tells the, the lame man, now see, you're, you've been weighed well. Don't sin lest something worse comes upon you. Tells Peter's mom, you're better, go fix us sandwiches. Go get us something to drink. She gets up and serves. Now, and, and yeah, I didn't mean that as the, you know, kind of the chauvinist, hey, fix me a sandwich, woman. That's not exactly what I mean. It, it's, it's, the, it's the idea of why do we want to be made well? And the best answer is that, so that I can serve well. Why do I want... And it's not a bargain we make with God. Again, he's not saying, I'll only heal you if you serve me. But that ought to be where our heart is. 
Oh, thank God, I am well. I can do everything. I can do it a little bit better. I can do it a little bit faster. I can do a little bit more because I'm not, I'm not distracted by this. And it's the same thing with our other needs. I want to be able to serve you without the distraction of this debt. I want to be able to serve, with distract, serve you without the distraction of this broken relationship, these things that are pulling on my attention, bringing my heart down. I want these things restored so that I can serve you more wholeheartedly. But sadly, what, what is our, sometimes we have an ulterior motive. Sometimes we think we mean it, but then as soon as that need has been lifted, ah, now we can relax. Now it's me time. And God knows this better. But he doesn't say no to healing. Isn't that a great news? Great news. Praise the worship team coming up here. Everybody else, go ahead and stand up. I'm going to offer you a quick opportunity. Anybody in here, if you need to be saved, get saved. I keep saying about how Jesus never said no to healing. That is a covenant promise for the believer. A believer is anybody who has trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, personally trusted, acknowledged that the cross was for them, given their hearts to Christ, given him lordship over their life, and if that's a decision you want to make tonight, Make it. If it's a decision you haven't made, then please want to make it tonight. It would be my privilege to pray for you. Anybody else, though, as soon as I pray, as soon as we start singing, if you've got a physical uh, need, uh, you need a healing. If there's sickness, if there's pain in your body, I want you to come up here and let me just agree with you. I'm going to lay my hands on you and just join my faith with yours, and we're going to believe God for a suddenly. We're going to believe God for an instantaneously. We're going to believe God for healing that belongs to you. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the no's. The times you tell us no for our own protection to keep us close to you. But thank you for making it clear in your word that you don't say no to healing. You always heal when we come to you in faith. Healing is a promise. Healing belongs to us and we receive it by faith tonight. I pray, Lord, that as we move into the final phases of this service tonight, I pray that your spirit, that the gift of healing would be in operation, that you would move powerfully in our midst to drive out all sickness, pain, and disease, every malfunction and every disorder in everybody in here tonight. And I also pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here who does not know you as Father, does not know you as Savior and Lord, that they would come to know you tonight. In Jesus' name, all the believers said, amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.